Welcome to episode four of A Glass of This, the podcast devoted to Idaho's growing beer, cider, wine, and spirits industry. I'm your host, Walt Huntsman. In this episode, I sit down with Bree Hovley of Barbarian Brewing. We'll talk about making the jump from home brewing, brewing sour beers to carve out a niche in Boise's beer scene, and Barbarian's recent participation in the City of Boise's Pure Water Brew Boise Initiative. We'll also talk experimentation and discuss some of the things that make Barbarian unique. Bree and I will go a bit more big picture and talk about the Boise beer scene and whether there's room for more growth. We'll also discuss efforts to get a state presence similar to the Idaho Wine Commission behind Idaho Beer and talk about the importance of social media in beer. First, a few stories from the alcohol world. Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon wants the U.S. Senate to provide federal assistance to vineyards that suffered smoke exposure from wildfires. Wyden also wants new funding for research on the effects of smoke exposure to wine grapes. He noted that many purchasers told growers their smoke-tainted grapes are not acceptable for winemaking, forcing growers to leave their grapes on the vine or sell them for vastly reduced prices. Interstate retail could become easier after a decision by the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals The court reopened a lawsuit brought by an Indiana wine shop that wants to ship wines to clients in Illinois, something currently against Illinois state law. In its ruling, the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals appeared to suggest that states should not be able to discriminate against out-of-state retailers when writing their liquor laws. Currently, 13 states and the District of Columbia allow out-of-state retailers to ship wine to their residents. Search engine Google has created what it claims is the most shareable cocktail after analyzing 10,000 Instagram posts from the United Kingdom featuring the hashtag cocktail. Gin was the winning spirit, tagged in 43% of the top posts, while flowers made up nearly a quarter of the top flavors tagged. Matt Hollage, who operates the Amateur Mixologist Instagram account, was given the job of creating the most shareable cocktail. It's called the Not Pink Drink, in honor of Google's recently released Pixel 3 smartphone, and is made with Bombay Sapphire Gin, San Germain Elderflower Liqueur, Butterfly Pea Flowers, Lemon Juice, Orange Blossom Water, and Tonic Water, as well as Night Sight Neon, which makes the tonic water glow when placed under ultraviolet light. That's some of what's making news in the world of alcohol. Now let's talk beer with Barbarian Brewing's Brie Hovley. Uh, you guys started, if I, if the research is right, uh, October of twenty fifteen, mm-hmm. and home brewing before that. What made you guys decide to go with Big? with this? Yeah. Um, so James did home brewing for like six years, um, but when we decided to really go for it and open the brewery, he went to brewing school and got his uh, um, brewing certificate. Um, but what really made us kind of take the jump was we were both, uh, needed a switch in careers. James was a trauma nurse and I was waiting tables with my business degree. Um, and we saw the other breweries opening up in town. So we kind of figured that it was now or never. So we went for it. That that actually is the second part of the question with all the other breweries that were opening Mm -hmm. up. What convinced you that 
you could that there was a place for you guys and that you could make a place for yourself in yeah. Boise's brewing scene? Um, so at the time, nobody was really focusing on sours or barrel-aged beers. So that's where we decided to kind of jump in and head that way for our, um, kind of our, our niche market. Um, when we were getting open, we knew it would take a year or two to really build our barrel program. So we opened up with kind of some Belgian beers, IPAs, and dark beers. But then we quickly started... About three months after we opened, we made our first kettle sour, and that was a hit. So we kind of did a bunch of kettle sours until our barrel program was really getting going. So Now, now sours are, are an area that, from what I've been able to gather, kind of does distinguish you guys still from mm-hmm. other uh, local breweries and brew pubs and, and the like. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what was it about sours that that made you decide to go that route. I mean, that, uh, until recently, I don't think there was a whole lot of knowledge locally about sours. There certainly don't Correct. seem to have been a lot of them around. Um, no, the I mean, sours have been around for hundreds of years, and the Belgian uh, breweries have kind of perfected the modern sour as we know it. Um, but we, we both uh, really enjoyed drinking sours and then had been to quite a few breweries um, outside of the local area that made great sours Um, and because no one was really focusing on them that's why we thought that there was a market for sours here and it turns out there has been. For people who aren't familiar with that style of beer Mm -hmm. what is it that distinguishes I mean obviously there's the name uh, Mm kind of might give you a hint but what is it are there other distinguishing characteristics about sours that make them so much more unique than other, other um, beers? Well, I mean, you're, you're dealing with bacteria to sour the beer. So we've got two types of sours. We've got our kettle sours, which are short turnaround um, sours, where we add bacteria to uh, the wort overnight and then boil it, ferment it, add, you know, keg it, it's on top in two weeks. And then we've got our barrel-aged sours, which are... I think way more complex um, and almost like drinking a glass of wine um, with their complexities where the beer is made, fermented, then transferred to barrel and that's where we add the bacteria and um, wild yeast and over six months the beer, six months to a year kind of evolves and turns into the sours. So So it's it's a unique flavor. It is. It it has way more depth. lot more characteristics a lot of times we use in our Britannomyces strains we don't use any of that barnyard kind of horse blanket funk we use fruity floral strains so that combined with the uh, bacteria strains James chooses with the beer and any fruit it just adds leads to a very complex uh, beer so well and and in, in getting ready for today, uh, uh, another way that I've noticed that you guys are, are different from a lot of the breweries is uh, your participation in the City of Boise's Pure Water Brew Boise initiative. Yeah. Can you talk about that and about how your decision to participate, how that all came about? Yeah. So the city um, wanted to do a pilot recycled water kind of brew program. Uh, so they picked four local breweries and cideries. We all, I think quite a few breweries applied to participate. And um, Barbarian, uh, Lost Grove, Mad Swede, and Long Drop Cider were all chosen. And we got, um, for ours, for our capacity, we got 500 gallons of recycled water from the city that was 
so pure that uh, James had to add um, minerals back into it because it was too pure. Um, and we made an, uh, our Oreo cookie ice cream ale. But we wanted to participate because um, we just thought it was a unique way that we could try something uh, with recycled water and as a more of a sustainable option for the future. Because a lot of times smaller breweries, it's really hard for us to practice sustainable methods because we just don't have the resources or the ability to build out, you know, solar panels or recycled water programs. Is, is that something that either you or the city are looking to expand or would you be um, up would, for such a... We would be up to receive water like that, definitely, but we don't have the resources. I don't think anyone, any brewery in the state of Idaho has the resources to build their own water treatment right. plant. Um, but the city is looking to put in a plant like that. Um, if not, they already have one. They're looking to expand on it. Um, so they... This was kind of a pilot program to gauge interest and to kind of start educating the public on these water treatment initiatives. Now, um, are there other ways that, or other things that you think make uh, Barberry and a little bit uh, unique or different from yeah. from the other guys? On the um, block? So one thing that really makes us unique is. Um, so we're a five small five barrel system. We pretty much only sell in both of our tap rooms. You'll find kegs of ours every once in a while around town at a couple restaurants, but we're, we pretty much brew beer for our tap room and that's it. Um, and in addition, we're using, I would say probably one of the few breweries we're using the highest quality ingredients across the board in everything that we're making. So most of our malts comes from Mecca grade um, estates uh, malts, which is in Madras, Oregon, which is five hours away. And they're one of the only, um, they're a boutique maltster. They grow the grain on site and malt it on site, which is very unique. Uh, there's only a handful of places in the world that still do that. Um, we, because we make so many different beers and we're always changing beers. Uh, we're buying new yeast all the time. Um, we get local fruit from organic farmers when it's in season. Um, so yeah, so high quality ingredients and then keeping everything in our tap room. And in addition, we don't really have any flagship beers that we're making over and over again. We're constantly rotating our selection um, all the time. So a lot of experimentation go on? Then Most of what we're doing is experimentation, yep. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, in, in some way that kind of leads to the next question. In, in poking around the website, it struck me that uh, there's a, a little bit of humor at work in the operation. There's a touch of humor in everything that seems to be mm -hmm. on the website. How, how does that, or if it does, how does that translate into the beer making itself? Um, our guys like to have a lot of fun in the back and half the time coming up with names, um, beer descriptions, they, uh, yeah, they just like to joke around and have fun. So uh, you've also, you also mentioned, uh, barrel aging. I think, uh, uh you mentioned barrels at least, mm -hmm. and I think you guys do some barrel aging. We do. Um, so in some ways it, it almost sounds like your approach has a lot in common, or at least something in common with winemaking. Would you say that's fair to say? It does, yes. Um, 
except wine wineries get their grapes once a year right. so we have the ability to keep but yeah so we have 112 oak barrels in the back oh, wow. aging probably 20 different types of beer so we've got um a few clean barrels where we have like our bourbon barrel imperial stouts which don't have any wild yeast or bacteria in them and then we've got our uh, funky barrel program so we've got some um just like Brett beers that aren't sour, but they're just kind of funky. So we've got like Apricot Brett Trapel. Um, I don't know. We've got a ton. Of and then we have our sour program that has different barrels ranging from red wine, white wine, port, um, French aperitif barrels. And then we've got the bases in there. We've got red, gold, Belgian brown bases, all aging different stuff. So. Well, since we're talking about specific beers, uh, can you recall what the first beers you guys came out with were? Yeah, the very first lineup when we opened. Yeah. It was Little Wolf IPA, Big Bad Wolf Imperial IPA, Belgian Style Chapel, a Saison, um, the Common Air, which is a California Common Ale, uh, a Dark Saison, and the eighth was um, a Sour Beer. But I can't remember the name because right. we only had so little of it. Um, Are any of those still around? Uh, the Belgian style Trapel is still on. Little Wolf is still on. And we bring back Big Bad Wolf every now and then. So. And er- earlier you were mentioning, you know, the, the location here in Garden City and you have the second tap room in downtown. Mm-hmm. How important do you think it was for you guys to have that downtown presence? Um, huge for us. Um, we were kind of at a point where we were either going to have to start distributing our beers statewide or, or maybe to other states with our sour program, um, or we could open a downtown tap room and hopefully increase traffic and keep our beer in-house. And by doing that, we were able to increase traffic and keep everything in-house. So. And how long have you had that? Uh, the second tap room has been open a little over a year, opened in mm-hmm. August of 2017. So... so- as we started out, you you opened the Garden City Tavern mm-hmm. in October 2015. So yep. And we opened three. with just the unit where the brewery is. So we had a capacity of nine people. <laughs> and then March of 2016, we opened up the expansion that we're sitting in right now. So our capacity is now 49 for the tap room, And that allowed us to expand our barrel program and get for more fermenters in the brewery side. And then, yeah, um, a little over a year and a half later, we opened the downtown tap room. So you, you guys have been around this, as we're recording this, basically, this Three is years. your third year mm-hmm. anniversary. You guys do anything special for the third anniversary? Um, we had a, a party a couple weeks ago, and we released our anniversary sour, which is Funkshine. Um, it's a golden sour dry hops with Comet Hop Hash and Callista and Mosaic Hops. And then um, we had a club membership bottle release, but we didn't really do anything crazy for the third year one. Um, I'm sure we're just kind of still sitting tight since we did so much expanding the first three years. We're trying to just maybe get some free time back. (laughs) We'll throw a big party for our five year, I think. (laughs) Now, you've mentioned several different types of sours. What are there? Are there are there classifications of sours or how does that you guys just um, like to well, do a we, lot of different experimentation with flavors or you can experiment with flavors so there's two different ways to sour beer like i mentioned earlier the right. kettle souring versus barrel aged souring but 
anything, I mean, a lot of places do that, especially in sours, they do kind of like we do, you make a base. And then by adding the different bacteria and wild yeast, and then in combination with the barrel that it's in, kind of goes from there. So then once you get the flavors and it does its thing, you can then go in and James will see if a certain fruit might be good to add to that beer or some different herbs. Like we did Saga, which was a, a red sour or no, a gold sour aged in gin barrels. And then he added uh, blackberries and fresh sage to mm. it. So from there, once you have your base and you get it kind of sour and going in the barrel, the possibilities are endless of what the end results could end up being. What, uh, what is the is the most unusual flavor you guys have come up with? Um, oh man, I think Ong Bok was one of the craziest ones. It was a a golden sour that he added uh, tamarind. Oh my gosh, I can't even remember what it was, but it was kind of like a, a Thai flavor to it <laughs> that would have been paired well with a really good like spicy Thai food. Okay. Yeah, but we've uh, got a few crazy ones. Any, any, any of the of the flavors that you've come out with that just they they either took off or, or maybe didn't do as well as the big surprises for you that, that were um saga was one that was a big surprise for us it was really popular and we knew we we all loved it sometimes we have beers that we absolutely love as a staff and they just do okay mm -hmm. um and then other times we have beers like Saga that we all loved and they were hit. Um, so we can never really predict what is going to sell phenomenally. Um, we, we had a beer called Call of the Wilds that was a pale ale that we threw into oak barrels and re-fermented with wild, or wild yeast uh, hmm. with Britannomyces. And when we put it on in fall of 2017, it moved okay, and so we pulled it off, and we just cellared it for another year, pretty much, um, and let those Brett flavors kind of work its magic. And when we put it on this summer, it sold like crazy. So sometimes we have beers that might not, they're not bad, they're just not moving right. the way we want. And if it's not an IPA that doesn't expire, if it's a beer that we're like, oh, this could sit for a year, it's going to be totally fine. We'll do that and see what happens. If it improves, awesome. If it doesn't or goes flavors don't end up turning out the way we want then it just goes down the drain so but we have we're i think that's another thing that kind of makes us unique we um we are not afraid to dump beer down the drain so because we do a lot of experimentation you, you mentioned a couple that, that that took off are there are which beer has been the biggest surprise for you that you guys have um, Our glitter beer this summer was the biggest surprise. Um, James made a purple glitter IPA, and it we knew it would be popular, but we did not know that it would be as insanely popular as it was. <laughs> that sounds like almost sounds like the kind of beer you might have on a Friday night at one of those... Uh, Bowling things, but mm -hmm. they bowl in the dark. Right. Kind of thing. <laughs> um, another one that's been crazy popular, actually, our winter release. Both of them. We've got our Morgan, which is a bourbon barrel imperial stout, mm. which is each year is gaining popularity. Um, and then we've got Elixir of the Gods, um, which is a pomegranate sour quadruple aged in port barrels. 
and each year both are 12 percent. so our winter release thanksgiving weekend is always really popular (laughs) (laughs) come back and try the stuff yeah (laughs) um so what what uh it it sounds like you've experimented a lot but are there are there flavors or or styles or or beers that you haven't made yet that you've talked about that you guys would like to try making oh yeah james has a ton of recipes that um he would like to try out at some point some of them we think i mean he's got a few recipes that might be too adventurous for right now so there's (laughs) there on the maybe next year when uh people's palates catch up to what we're doing um like he's been one of our new sours is going to come out in like two weeks is an earl gray um so a gold kettle sour that he made with Earl Grey tea. And then we're going to serve it on nitro to emulate, simulate the, like an Earl Grey cocktail with egg whites. And then we're going to do rose petals, uh, dried rose petals as a garnish. Interesting. Yeah. That reminds me a little bit of, uh, Meriwether Cider actually has a, a cider that they do with, uh, black tea. Oh, and nice. Yeah. So it sounds like that would be a nice step from that. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the, the beer community in general. How would you describe it? Do you think is there still room for for growth? Um, I think so. I think there's always room for growth. Um, I think it's going to be harder in the future to open up a, a, maybe a big production place, mainly because we're seeing a lot of competition from outside regional breweries moving into Idaho mm-hmm. that are crowding store shelves tap handles at restaurants um but there's definitely room for small breweries in neighborhoods like finding your niche all over the place i know people that are looking at potentially opening breweries in meridian eagle um kind of all over the place so i think that's what we're going to see in the next couple years is more micro like nano breweries opening up so the future is still pretty pretty good looking for for tap room type operations as opposed to people who are looking to get their beer on store shelves oh for sure okay yeah i think so but that's i mean i think if you're going to do that it's going to be kind of like bend where you've got to have a lot of money to come in and go big or else you come in small which a lot of breweries are i mean bend still has breweries opening up which is crazy with how popular yeah. or how many there are <laughs> yeah but yeah i think there's definitely still room in the market okay yeah now i, I know that wineries and to some extent cideries from my conversation with meriwether uh get support from the state's idaho wine commission with promoting the region and, mm-hmm. and, and the fact that there's wine to be had here and i know that some brewers have a, or belong to idaho brewers united but there's not really a state commission of anything would you think you guys and, and other operations like you would benefit from such a thing? Or, oh, or? of course. Um, we're actually, there's kind of a group working to maybe potentially get a beer commission going, but it requires, it's state funding, so it's a long process. But um, the Wine Commission's done awesome things for the wine community in the whole mm-hmm. state. I think that we, Idaho would definitely benefit from a beer commission. In the meantime, what what do you or, or is there anything that you and, and other breweries are or can be doing to kind of help? Um, yeah, so um, I work with a group called the Idaho Beer Alliance, and we are local breweries and craft beer retailers. And at the moment, um, we are kind of working with legislators and the tax commission and trying to figure out how 
we could potentially create a beer commission in the future. So it does take, um, it'll take a couple of years, I think, but um, we are slowly working on it, so. Well, the rate at which uh, Idaho's and Boise's, in particular Boise's beer community is growing, it seems like that is the next logical step. Oh yeah, so, as a uh, commission, because I mean, we all pay, um, uh, quite a bit in beer taxes, so it would be beneficial to be able to take a little bit of that money back and promote the whole state and tourism as a whole, which would be great. Well, that, that kind of is, is sort of the global picture of, of beer in Boise. What what about the future for Barbarian? What do you, what do you see? Uh... Um, we are still working on that, but for the next couple years, I think we're just going to focus on our two tap rooms, and um, we're going to focus on creating... Uh, better quality beer and then keep experimenting. So we're gonna, like I said, we've done so much the first three years that we kind of need to want to not need, we want to just kind of hold tight and focus on our tap rooms, start doing more events, um, get more bottles out, so. Not get too far ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we I went from a staff of four to 10 overnight last year. So um, we're all, ready to have a little bit of free time again. <laughs> so what, uh, if anything, have we not talked about that you think we should talk about? I'm not really sure. I think questions covered <laughs> quite a bit of it. <laughs> I certainly try. Um, yeah, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're just chugging along and you said the next couple of years of who knows? The industry is changing at such a fast rate. Um, another thing we really like about our size is we can we can see trends that are going on that maybe aren't going on in Boise yet, but are going on in other beer cities, and we can jump on those. It's one of the beauty of not being tied to distribution is we see something that like somebody in Vermont's doing. We can try it in Idaho, and if it works, great. If not, meh, on to well, the next thing. <laughs> let me ask you this then. How much... Um I don't know if research is the right word, but monitoring maybe is a better word of, of the beer industry. Do you do then to kind of try to keep your finger on the pulse of what other places are doing? Um, actually, not that much. <laughs> we, I mean, we follow we, in social media is a huge indicator. We, we have, you know, probably 30, I'm sure more than that, 40 to 50 breweries on social media that we follow probably way higher than that but you can kind of see what other places are doing okay. um and around the world and so it's cool to ease and it's easy to see like oh nobody in idaho has done that yet. like the glitter beer i think we were the first ones to make a glitter beer but it had been done at dozens of breweries throughout the u.s so now i, I also in addition to this i also do a, a music podcast and i've, I've asked several of the people that i've interviewed about the use of social media and the importance of it. With regard to beer, how important is social media these huge, days? Huge, huge. It is, yeah. Your social media presence, we found, is like, it'll make or break you. <laughs> Unfortunately. I think we just live in a social media-driven world right now. And especially um, for like our downtown, the beer drinking demographic has shifted a little bit. Um, we find that our range is actually we have quite a large range, 25 to 65. Um, 
but that 25 to 45 is very heavy, heavily active on social media. So I better, I better get my drinking in. I'm going to age out pretty soon. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, the, we had a lot of 21 year olds in the downtown tap room. It's crazy. We're like, wait, you drink good beer? They're like, yeah. We've, like, I don't even want to know what age you started drinking good beer. <laughs> I'm trying to get my son interested. It just hasn't happened yet. Uh, all right. Well, I think that's everything I've got. Well, cool. Uh, uh, so, well, thank I appreciate you. It. Well, thank appreciate you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks to Bree Hovley of Barbarian Brewing. You'll find links to Barbarian Brewing's website as well as their social media links in the show notes at aglassofthis.blogspot.com. Look for a new episode in two weeks. And thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.